0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the ninth chapter. Jesus and the disciples went on and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying, and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. I want to say a couple things about that first reading for today, and also about the psalm for today, and then we're going to get on with things in the Gospel for today. The first reading from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who, along with... Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah is referred to as one of the Old Testament's major prophets, which means he's a big deal as prophets go, and which also means that it probably doesn't surprise you when I tell you there's a lot of Jesus in the prophet Jeremiah. I mean, for starters, there's a lot of Jesus in the prophet Jeremiah in the way that a lot of things Jeremiah experienced, Jesus would experience Later as well. And so, for example, like Jesus, Jeremiah suffered for following the faithful path he believed he was called to follow. And like Jesus, one of the main reasons he suffered is that many of the very people he believed that God had called him to, including especially the religious leaders of the people God had called him to, didn't welcome him and his words as a gift from God, but rather rejected him, mocked him imprisoned him, abused him, and did so, according to them, anyway, in the name of God. Which is what lies behind that first reading we heard today, where Jeremiah speaks of the evil deeds of those to whom he'd been sent, and how they, they were devising evil schemes to rid the world of him, get rid of him, and how he himself was like a gentle lamb being led to the slaughter, nevertheless He says in our meeting for today, O Lord, to you I commit my cause. By this point, for those of us who are Christians anyway, those words about the things Jeremiah is going through have started to feel, in the way that the words of the prophets often start to feel, his words by now start to feel prophetic. And how they seemingly prophetically look ahead to speak of Jesus and what he will go through. Jesus, who would be known as the Lamb of God and who would, without protest, be led to the slaughter by those who, in the name of God, according to them anyway, would devise plans cruelly, abusively to rid the world of him, but who would nevertheless pray, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Yes, indeed, there's a lot of of Jesus and the prophet Jeremiah. There's a lot of Jesus in the prophet Jeremiah, that is, right up until there isn't. And what I mean by that is that though Jeremiah truly is a prophet and a major one at that, who truly prophetically speaks words that are truly the word of the Lord, he is also nevertheless to one of us, who therefore sometimes speaks words that are the words of of the likes of us. Words like, for example, his words near the end of our reading for today. Let me see your retribution upon them, he says. Let me see. I I don't want to hear about it. I want my own eyes to see your retribution upon them. And the them he's talking about are his enemies, which of course is way unlike the one who would tell his followers in the name of God to love their enemies. There's a lot of Jeremiah, Jesus, and the prophet Jeremiah, right up until we discover that there isn't. As we discover, hell with my enemies, God, there's a lot of the likes of us, and the prophet Jeremiah, too. And we see the very same thing in the psalm for today, and the psalmist who wrote it, the psalmist who was King David, a man powerfully, beautifully described in scripture, as a man after God's own heart. And a man who was promised in Scripture that one day God would raise up a descendant of his who would be king of a kingdom that would be forever. Jesus being known by Christians as that descendant, that son of David, surely no one is surprised that there's a lot of Jesus too in David and in his Psalms including Psalm 54 today, where David speaks of those ruthless ones who have risen against him and have no regard for God and who have sought his life in response to which David in the psalm prays to God as he does in the psalms over and over again and as Jesus does in the gospels over and over again. Yes, it's true, there's a lot of Jesus in the prophet and the psalmist David. Right up until there isn't. For David, too, is one of us, too. Those who seek evil upon me, he says to God, render evil to them. In your faithfulness, destroy them. Words like those are, of course, easily understood and easily understandable by the likes of us, but are nevertheless simultaneously absolutely unlike Jesus, whose prayer to God regarding those who sought evil upon him, and who with hammers and nails and whips and thorns did evil, heinous evil, to him, was the prayer, what? Well, Father, forgive them. There's a lot of Jesus, and the psalmist King David Right up until we discover there isn't. As we discover, forgive them, I don't think so. There's a lot of the likes of us in David too. Which takes us to the gospel reading for today and Jesus. And his disciples, his disciples who will go on later in their lives to have so much Jesus in them that they will be great with a greatness that the likes of us can only stand in awe of. For they will turn the world upside down with the power of the gospel. And they will do so even when every sacrifice is required to be made, including finally the sacrifice of each and every one of their own lives. Ah, but... Here in Mark 9, when Jesus told them and told them clearly and told them not for the first time that there would be no gospel to turn the world upside down with, without sacrifice, without suffering, without death, without a cross, they, observes Mark in his gospel, didn't understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask. Now you see, I actually think they did just a little bit understand what he was saying. And the reason they were afraid to ask was because they understood him just enough to realize that, frankly, they really didn't want to understand him any more than that. Which, of course, is, again, I think, at least sometimes, like us, us who, for example, when we hear him say things like, for example, love your enemy and forgive those who sin against you or sell everything you have and give it to the poor, then say that we don't understand what he means and, And we say that, I think, because we're afraid. We don't ask because we're afraid that we might find out that what he means is forgive those who sin against you and love your enemies and sell what you have and give to the poor. There will be no gospel, no good news for the world, Jesus told his disciples without a cross and suffering and death, and says Mark, they didn't understand and were afraid to ask because, gosh, what if he meant that what was coming when they got to where they were going was a cross and suffering and death. And they didn't understand that in that moment, in part, I'm pretty sure, because they didn't want to. On the other hand, what they did understand, in part because they did want to, was what Peter had said just earlier, and what Jesus had said was spot on, exactly right, and that is that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ, the one they had been waiting for centuries to come and save them, which meant he, I'm here to tell you, was something great, which, of course, they understood totally meant, they knew this, it meant that they were destined for greatness, too, when they got to where they were going, with him. Which kind of sort of maybe a little bit, in a tiny way, helps us make some sense of the seemingly nonsensical rest of our gospel text for today, which takes place right immediately after Jesus had just told them clearly and not for the first time that there would be no gospel without a cross and suffering and death. And they then, says Mark, right then after that, got into an argument for crying out loud, gist of which was when they got to where they were going and it came time to, to gather around Jesus in his greatness, which of them was going to be the greatest of them, and therefore at the right hand of him. And my gosh, what do you know, here we are again. Yes, there'd be a whole lot of Jesus and the disciples in their day, when with suffering and sacrifice they would prove their likeness to Jesus, but on this day in Mark 9, they, like Jeremiah and David, revealed to, revealed this day, their likeness to the likes of us. When, as it came time to talking about something like greatness, they weren't just on a different page than Jesus, they were on a different planet than Jesus. For their ways of making sense of things in this life, in this world, were the ways of this world. Jesus, on the other hand, had come to this world to live and in flesh and blood to be the ways of God. And so now in Mark 9, he speaks the ways of God. Saying to these wannabe, great, fighting followers of his, whoever wants to be first of all. Whoever wants to be the great in my kingdom, in other words, must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. Children, you should understand, in those days had no status, including legal status. They had no legal rights, none. Which meant that children in those days had absolutely nothing to offer anyone in terms of honor or status. There was nothing, there was no thing that a child then could give you for noticing or giving something to him or her. Which is so different From how things are today for our children who do have rights and who do have status. It's so different that it's hard. It's very hard I think for us today to imagine the radicalness of Jesus' words here and the radicalness of this whole scene. Actually, I take that back. It's not true. Actually, and by actually I mean really quite easily You and I could easily imagine the radicalness of Jesus' words and the radicalness of this whole scene in our gospel text for today. We just, being like the disciples, may not want to. Which I'm thinking probably means we need to. So let me tell you just how easy it is to imagine the radicalness of Jesus' words. And the radicalness of Jesus' actions. And the radicalness of this whole scene in our gospel text for today. As well as the fact that there were people, powerful people, who were offended by Jesus for saying things like the things he says in our gospel text for today. And so they were even now conspiring to rid the world of him. It's all as easy and as hard. As picturing this scene not 2,000 years ago in the town of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, but rather today in, for example, a refugee camp not all that many miles from Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, where today can be found children, brown-skinned, Arabic-speaking children with precious little status and few, if any, legal rights and virtually no one. Noticing them and Jesus going to that makeshift, inadequate camp where they are living and where they are dying. To kneel down and pick up and lift up one of those children. Or, for example, let's say picturing this scene today in a southern border town in our own country where can be found children brown-skinned Spanish-speaking children with precious little status and apparently few legal rights. And Jesus going to them to pick up and lift up one of them to then turn with Arabic-speaking and Spanish-speaking child in arms to say not to the twelve disciples back then, but rather to us who would be disciples now, words which maybe now we can understand if we want to. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. So what do you think? Is there a lot of Jesus in you? Is there a lot of Jesus in us as a church is there a lot of Jesus in us as a nation or as it turns out more than a lot of Jesus in us is there a whole lot of us in us mine I think is not to answer that question for you mine I think is to close by saying that in this world where greatness being number one over others is sure chased after and fought over a lot and where the concept of greatness and being great and being great again is surely talked about a lot, I think Jesus is all in about the possibility of us being great, not just again, but always. But he's only all in. If before thinking or saying the word great ever again, we take a, a pass at one question test. And the question is this question, what truly is great? Here's your study text for the test. Then they came to Capernaum. And when Jesus was in the house, he asked his disciples, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to him, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, He said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Amen.